0: Hello, you are listening to the Secular Buddhism Podcast, and this is episode number 40. I am your host, Noah Rachetta, and today I'm talking about dealing mindfully with grief and loss. Grieving is the process of coming to terms with loss in our lives. We may experience grief for a number of different reasons. It could be the loss of a loved one, the end of a relationship or friendship, or the loss of a job. Other significant life changes can also lead to grief, like moving to a new home or a new city, uh, losing our deeply held convictions or beliefs, or experiencing a sudden change in our hopes and dreams. Loss is something we seem to deal with from the moment we're born. I've seen firsthand the discomfort a, new, a newborn seems to endure uh, at the loss of the warmth and comfort of the womb. And from that moment on, life can seem like a string of losses. And while the scale and the intensity of loss can vary greatly, say, losing a loved one compared to losing a material possession, in the end, the loss of anything can cause suffering, and it may require the process of grieving to help us to adjust. Now, before I jump into this topic, I want to remind you of a couple of things. First is my commonly shared quote by the Dalai Lama that says, do not try to use what you learn from Buddhism to be a Buddhist. Use it to be a better whatever you already are. Regardless of which path you're on or how far you are along that path, mindfulness can help you to be a better whatever you already are. Second, this podcast is made possible by the Foundation for Mindful Living, a 501c3 nonprofit whose mission is to make the world a better place by teaching people to live more mindfully. If you get any value out of this podcast, and if you are in a position to be able to, please consider becoming a monthly contributor. Just $2 a month can make a big difference. One-time donations are appreciated as well, and you can make a donation by visiting secularbuddhism.com and clicking on the donate button at the top of the page. And I want to say thank you to everyone who donates monthly to the podcast and anyone who's made a one-time donation. Your donations are making a very big difference in the ability that I have to share this content with the world through workshops, through a mindfulness training program that I'm putting together, and several other resources that are in the works. All of this has been accomplished uh, with your support and thanks to your support. So, thank you very, very much. Okay, now let's jump back into this week's topic. I want you to take a moment and think about some of the losses you've experienced in your own life. Perhaps this is the loss of a loved one, or the loss of a job, or a meaningful friendship or relationship. This could be a material possession, something that was lost or stolen something that broke. Just think about that for a minute and see what comes to mind. We all have losses. We've all experienced losses in the past. We may be experiencing loss now, or we will experience it in the future. And for the losses we experience in life, we need to grieve. And mindfulness practice can help us in this process to ensure that we grieve skillfully. Grieving is the natural healing process of coming to terms with loss in our lives. You may be familiar with the concept of the five stages of grief, as proposed by the Swiss psychiatrist Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. Her model proposes that a series of emotions are experienced by people who are dealing with loss. These are denial. When you first learn of a loss, it may be normal to think, well, this can't be happening to me You you may feel shocked or numb. This is a temporary way to deal with the rush of uh, an overwhelming emotion. It's kind of like a defense mechanism. So denial. The next one is anger. As this reality sets in, you're faced with the pain of your loss. You may feel frustrated and helpless. And then these feelings can turn into anger. And and that's anger that may be directed towards other people, to a higher power, or to life in general. Then we have bargaining. Bargaining, this is the stage where you kind of dwell on what you could have done to prevent the loss. And these are common thoughts like, if only, or, you know, what if I had done this or had I not done that? Um, This is kind of that stage where you may even try to strike a deal with a higher power. Um, And then the next stage is depression. This is sadness that sets in as you begin to understand the loss and its effect on your life. And during this stage, signs of depression may include crying or sleep issues, uh, decreased appetite. Uh, There may be a sense of feeling overwhelmed, regretful, and lonely. The final stage is acceptance. In this stage, you accept the reality of your loss. You realize it can't be changed. And although you can still feel sad, you're uh, able to move start moving forward with your life. And because these stages are often referred to as stages, uh, people often mistake these as a linear course that one needs to advance from one stage to the next as we come to terms with our loss. Now, in my own experience, it can be misleading or even harmful to assume that these stages are sequential or linear in any way. While each of these emotions can be experienced throughout the grieving process, grief rarely seems to follow any specific order or timetable. We all seem to experience grief in different ways. And while some of us may experience one or more of these specific emotions, uh, they may not come in a specific order. It may be that we advance from one stage to another only to come back again to where we were before. And uh, this is kind of how I experienced it while well, dealing um, about seven years ago with the loss of trust and coping with uh, betrayal and deception. Uh, I remember advancing through uh, anger to what I thought was acceptance, only to come back to anger and then this was like a cycle that went on and on for months, even years, and for a time, I genuinely thought I was crazy because every time I'd feel like I was fin- finally finally past all of the emotions and I was at acceptance, it seemed like that should be the end of it. But then something would trigger a memory, and I'd be back at square one so The mindfulness approach to grief and loss is not about trying to get through one stage to advance to the next or to try to rush through all of them, you know, to hurry and get to this acceptance and healing. It's about applying acceptance to whatever stage we're in and to whatever the overall process of grief is bringing us. So through mindfulness, we focus on on removing any obstacles that might impede us from experiencing whatever the process of grief might have in store for us. Now, mindfulness is helpful during the grieving process because it allows us first to acknowledge the universality of loss, and it helps us to accept the inevitability of loss as a part of life. So at one point or another, we will all face the loss of everything we hold dear. And sometimes this happens when we're not ready and when we're not expecting it. And it's resisting those losses that can cause us to suffer, suffer beyond the pain that is already typical with loss, so we know that all things are impermanent. We live in a world where ultimately everything uh, that we hold dear will have to be relinquished. And Thich Nhat Han on this topic says it's not impermanence that makes us suffer. What makes us suffer is wanting things to be permanent when they're not. And this reminds me of a story during the Buddha's time. Uh, there was a woman named Kisigotami and she had married young and gave birth to a son, and one day the baby got sick and then uh, died soon after. And Kis- Kisigotami loved her son, and she just refused to believe that her son was dead. She carried uh, his body around the village, asking if there was anyone who could bring him back to life. And the village villagers saw that, and you know they saw he was already dead, and that there was nothing that could be done. So they advised her to just accept his death and make the arrangements for the funeral. But in, with grief, you know, she fell upon her knees and she just clutched her son's body close to hers. And she kept uttering for him to wake up and to wake up. And at this point, a village uh, elder took pity on her and and suggested her to go consult with the Buddha. So Kisugotami, uh, you know, we can't help you. You need to go talk to the Buddha. Maybe he can do something to bring your son back to life. So Kisigotami was excited at hearing that, and she immediately went to the Buddha's residence and, and pleaded for him to help her, you know, to bring her son back to life. And the Buddha said, well, Kisigotami, I I, I do have a way to bring your son back to life. She's like, well, um, you know, what is it going to take? What do I have to do? I'll do anything. And the Buddha essentially says, "If if that's the case, if you'll do anything, then here's what you need to do. Uh, bring me a mustard seed taken from a house where no one residing in that house has ever lost a family member. And then you bring that seed back to me, and I'll uh, bring your son back to life. So, having faith in that promise, Kisagotami just took off and she ran from house to house in the village trying to find this, this mustard seed. And at the first house, she found a young woman who said, Yeah, I have a mustard seed. Um, but then when she asked her if she had ever lost a family member, the young woman said, yeah, my grandmother died a few months ago. So she thanked her and ran to the next house. because She realized that wasn't going to work. And at the next house, you know, she found uh, someone whose hud- husband had died a few years ago. And at the next house, someone who had lost an uncle. And then at the next house, someone who had lost uh, an aunt or a cousin. And this process keeps going. She gets, keeps going from house to house and she keeps finding the same answer that every Every household had someone who had lost a family member at some point. So by then, Kisigotami finally realizes that there's no one in the world who's never lost a family member. So she now understood that death is inevitable, and it's a natural part of life, and this acceptance allowed her to start working with her grief and to bury her son. And the story of Kisigotami reminds us that loss is a universal experience. The Buddha's lesson for Kisagotami allowed her to understand that her refusal to acknowledge the inevitability of loss was only adding to her pain. And I feel a special sympathy for her. You know, As a parent myself, I've tried to imagine how difficult uh, it would be to have to deal with the loss of one of my own kids. If we know that loss and death are inevitable, why not begin to prepare for the inevitable now? you know why is why is our cultural tendency to avoid even the thought of death or even the thought of losing the things that matter to us you know remembering that all things are continually changing we can avoid developing unhealthy attachments that may cause us to suffer you know it's funny speaking of these attachments just this weekend we were cleaning out our storage unit and i took a trailer load full of stuff to a donation center and it was interesting to see certain possessions and to you know, realize at one point how valuable that possession felt to me or how meaningful it was to me at one time. And now here I was at another time in my life just giving it away. And in the process of um, emptying all these totes that we had, um, one of the totes was labeled Noah's helicopter stuff. And as some of you may recall from uh, past podcast episodes. Uh, there was a time in my life when I was in flight school training to be a helicopter pilot. It's a childhood dream that I had. And unfortunately the school that I went to back in 2008, uh, filed bankruptcy. And it was a school that had the business model where the students would pay up front for all of the training. And then, um, And then they would, you know, train you over the course of six to eight months or 12 months. Um, But it was running like a Ponzi scheme. Now, none of us noticed that uh, at the beginning, but, you know, they would have you pay up front and then they would use that to keep recruiting more students. And that's kind of how the company ran. That lasted about 10 years before the company finally went under. And when it did, uh, thousands of students across the country, including myself, we were, um, out of flight training and out of the money that we had paid for it. So it was it was a really difficult time. And th- it was one of my dreams, like I mentioned. And so there was a dream that was shattered. There was suffering that was being experienced. I was dealing with the grief and the loss of what seemed to be like my life plan. That was my career choice. So, you know, fast forward now, almost 10 years later, here I am, at this donation center, looking at this tote, and I opened it, and it had all of my flight gear. I had my headset, all of my books, my flight computer, um, the the little thing that's, that snaps to your leg that holds the maps of where you're flying. It had everything, everything that I used for flying. And it was interesting to just look at this for a moment to think how important these items were to me at one point. And here I was donating. This entire tote away, hoping you know some use would come out of it to someone, and there was a tinge of of sadness there with it. Um, but I thought it was interesting that I had held on to these items for almost ten years, and I thought about that you know attachment to the things that can cause us to suffer. So, how does mindfulness help us to cope with the loss of things that you know that we've become attached to? Well, it's similar to how we deal with any other emotion through mindfulness, you know, an emotion like anger or sadness. We simply acknowledge the emotion, we accept it, and then we let it go when it's time to go. But there's no need to have fear or aversion towards the grieving process. You know, We can be open to whatever grief brings and allow ourselves to be fully with that experience. And remember, like I mentioned before, there's no set time frame for this grieving process. It just has to happen on its own. And an important benefit of mindfulness during the grieving process is that it helps to keep us anchored in the present moment, because the present moment is the only place where we can fully feel the pain of loss. Now, when we're dealing with loss, it's common to find ourselves experiencing anxiety about the future you know, with the loss of a spouse or the loss of a job, we have legitimate concerns about how we're going to get by. And other losses like relationships or divorce, you know, these things may cause us to have concerns about our self-worth or or fear about ever finding meaningful love again. I remember with, uh, you know, with my story with the helicopter flight school, I had significant fears about, well, now what am I going to do? You know, that this was the career that I chose. Now, how am I going to pay this money that I lost? It was almost, it was $70,000 that the school had, had taken from us. And though you know, that's money I still pay every month, student loans that I'll be paying the rest of my life for something I never got. But at the time, you know, a lot of my fear and anxiety was anchored in the future. What is this, what's going to happen now? How am I going to do this? You know, how am I going to pay that back? What am I going to do for a job? Um, and the point is that almost any kind of loss will cause us to wonder how we're going to fill the void of what we've lost, and these are valid concerns. They, They need to be addressed, but we do need to know that spending too much time with our concerns about the future can get in the way of the grieving process itself, which requires us to momentarily set aside these concerns and instead just be completely aware of our experience in the present moment. This is where mindfulness meditation can be an incredible tool for coping with loss as it provides us with the opportunity of attending to whatever experience we're having in that present moment and fully experiencing what we find in the present moment is an essential step for learning to think and act wisely. Now, another uh, topic that relates to this is something that I brought up a few podcasts back. Um, I talked about the art of self-compassion and how self-compassion can play an important role in the grieving process as it allows us to accept the compassion not only for from ourselves but also from others. You know sometimes when we're going through difficult things, we need compassion, but we struggle to allow others to give us that compassion because we don't feel worthy of it or we feel that it's a sign of weakness to accept compassion from from others this is why we can work with self-compassion and compassion is one of the greatest things we can receive while we're experiencing grief you know in part i think it's because it reminds us of the universality of our suffering like kisagotami you know we can be reminded that we are not alone in our experience of loss and suffering and that Uh, And this in turn, I think, eases or minimizes our sense of suffering. So dealing with our own suffering, uh, it can be the catalyst for learning to develop compassion for others. You know, I imagine Kisigotami at that point, realizing with what she had gone through with the loss of her son, allowed her to feel compassion from that moment on for anyone else who was going to experience that same type of loss. I remember feeling the same thing with my flight school, you know thinking, well, now I know what what that's like to uh, to be robbed uh, of a dream and and anytime I've encountered that with anyone else in their life and and having you know life throw a curveball at them that sends them in a new direction, I feel compassion for them because I know what that's like, same with my uh, other experience in life with with feeling betrayed or, or deceived. You know, I can empathize with people who've gone through that in, in, in their relationships because I know what that's like. So I think, um, you know, it allows us to develop compassion for others. Our suffering can do that. And it can also be a reminder of how life truly is like a game of Tetris, like I talk about all the time. You know, we only have the illusion of control And yet we simply never know what piece is going to show up next. And I think experiencing loss and suffering, it can be disillusioning in the sense that it helps us to get rid of the illusion that we even had control or the illusion that there's permanence in any of this. So if you practice developing skillful means with life's everyday challenges, uh, you know, it'll allow you to be able to react more skillfully when losses come to you. As, as we all know, they inevitably will. And remember, loss and suffering is not personal. You're not being singled out. Um, it's just that you're experiencing life. Now, early in, earlier in this podcast, I mentioned that if we know that loss and death are inevitable, why not begin to prepare for the inevitable Now. You know, how do we prepare to deal with the loss of everything? Well, I have a guided meditation that I want to share with you today in this podcast episode. And I'm also going to set this aside as a recording that can be listened to as the next podcast episode. It will just be the guided meditation so that you can listen to it again from time to time uh, without having to listen to this whole episode and and, and look, you know, to the end to listen to, to this guided meditation. Um, so why don't you take a couple of minutes right now and just follow along with this exercise. This, is, this can be a powerful technique for learning to um, think and ponder on the nature of impermanence. So this is a guided meditation on impermanence. This is an ordinary moment. If you can, close your eyes and just focus on the sensation of breathing try to become aware of the breath, the in-breath and the out-breath. Just become aware of this ordinary process that seems so natural that we rarely even think of it. And yet it's this process of breathing that keeps us alive throughout the ordinary moments of our day. And now imagine next to you a large platform You're standing next to this large platform or a stage and it's empty. There's nothing on it. And I want you to imagine your favorite possessions. This could be your computer, your watch, your smartphone. Uh, Maybe it's a TV or your car. Just imagine all of your favorite stuff. And now imagine them being placed on this platform or on this stage one at a time. And when they get placed there... simply disappear everything that gets placed on the stage dissolves and just disappears just imagine yourself for a moment seeing all of your stuff one by one being placed on there and then it's gone and how does that feel knowing all of your stuff is now gone And now I want you to imagine all of your friends, all of your coworkers you know, people that you know, just imagine their voices. They're all talking to each other and they're sharing their stories. And, and as they do this, they're all slowly stepping on that stage in single file, one by one. And as they do, they disappear one by one until they're all gone. And after that, I want you to imagine your family, your parents, siblings, children. I want you to imagine their voices. I want you to envision their smiles and, and feel the love that you have for each one of them. Just imagine them all stepping on that stage, each disappearing one at a time. And notice how now you're standing there next to that stage and you're all alone. You know, how does it feel now to know your friends and family, they're all gone. They've all stepped on that stage. And now I want you to picture the room where you are or the space where you are, You know your bed, your books, all of your other possessions, all of them on that stage now. And they all disappear. And you continue to scale back. You know, picture your neighborhood, picture your yard, uh, the feeling of, of the sun on your face, and the feeling of the wind on your skin, and, and rain. Everything, everything you see, it's all on that stage and it all disappears. And now as you stand there, I want you to imagine your memories your feelings, all the knowledge you've gained from the books that you've read and the school classes that you've attended, every word you've ever heard, your entire vocabulary, every song you've ever listened to, every sound you've ever heard, all being put on that stage and it's all disappearing. And as each of these things goes One by one. Now there's just you. And it's just you standing there. And now you walk onto that stage. And you slowly disappear. And then the stage is the only thing that's there. And then the stage disappears. And now that's it. There's nothing. There's nothing left. There's just the awareness of emptiness. The emptiness of all that is. I want you to notice what you feel as you become aware of this emptiness. and Death will come in an ordinary moment, just like this one. Now bring your awareness back to where you are. The room that you're in, the space where you are. Open your eyes if you had them closed. I want you to just look around for a moment and notice how wonderful it is to just be alive. This is a simple guided meditation practice that can serve as a reminder that death will come in an ordinary moment, a moment just like this one. But for now, this ordinary moment is anything but ordinary because this is an extraordinary moment of being alive. And this is the nature of impermanence. Things are continually changing. One thing ends and another thing starts, but in the end it's all impermanent and what there is is emptiness. I want you to think about that, to just enjoy the feeling of how great it is to just be here with everything just the way that it is, with the bank account just the way that it is, the friendships just the way that they are, you know, the student loans that you have just the way that they are, everything just the way that it is, and how good that can feel. And this is the meditation on impermanence. And if you enjoyed this podcast episode, please feel free to share it with others, uh, write a review, or give it a rating in iTunes. And if you're new to Buddhism or you're interested in learning more, remember you can listen to the first five episodes of this podcast in order as they serve as a summary of some of the key concepts taught in Buddhist thinking. And also you can check out my book, Secular Buddhism, Eastern Thought for Western Minds. It's available on Amazon, Kindle, iTunes, and Audible. And for more information and for links, you can visit secularbuddhism.com. And that's all I have for now, but I look forward to recording another podcast episode soon. Until next time.